Have you ever shown up to a situation or been to a place where you had certain expectations about something that was going to happen there and then it, it didn't, you know? You, you roll into a place and you're thinking, oh, wow, finally I get to do this or this is what I expect or this is how this conversation will go or this is what we'll be doing or this is what I'll see here or whatnot. And then you get up, you get there and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, wait a minute, I thought we were doing this. Or I thought I was going to see this today, you know. I went to the zoo to see the bears. And the exhibit's closed. Obviously, there are things that are perhaps more grave than that that you've shown up to or prepared for nonetheless. And it certainly seems appropriate that as we consider a new year, and I certainly think it's appropriate that we, uh, of people, of of all people, are those who, who do resolve. Some people make a mockery of resolutions. I encourage you not to do that. This is a a great opportunity for us to uh, once again uh, consider what are we doing here? (laughs) What what is it that we're about? Uh, You know, not only is individuals created in the image of God, but what is it that we're about here as God's people? We have uh, shaped our lives, many of us, around this fellowship, we, we have, uh, I am persuaded, uh, rightly uh, shaped and invested our relationships primarily with the people that are present in this fellowship. And so it seems appropriate that we, again, would ask ourselves the question, wait, wait a minute, what, what okay, what is it that, that we're doing to kind of refresh, you know, sometimes when we when we, uh, we get involved in activities that are repetitive by nature, that involve a certain level of skill, does it seem appropriate sometimes that you would go back and you would think, what is the right way to do this again? I may have slipped into some bad habits, for instance. I might need to get my old coach to look at my swimming stroke again for him to tell me just exactly what I'm doing with this flip turn thing and so forth and so on. And so, and so you know, the Apostle Peter helps us in First Peter chapter 4 here to really get a grip on what are, what are we doing? Why has God called us together beyond our worship services? What are we doing? What are we focusing on? Where are we headed spiritually? Again, it seems appropriate as we consider a new year to look with sobriety and urgency at the things most important to us and to ask the Lord to align our hearts with Himself such that we can walk in the Spirit with Him. This phrase, in the Spirit, uh, shows up right here in chapter 4, verse 6, that we might live in the Spirit. And so we should ask ourselves the question today, what exactly... What does that mean? I mean, we, we have uh, perhaps a general idea of what it means uh, to walk in the Spirit. And you might notice that the S there is not an uppercase S, it's a lowercase S. I, it, it seems that the translators of the ESV uh, find that appropriate. Uh, in some places in this translation, it does show up as a large S. I'm persuaded this... Uh, Obviously, it doesn't matter what I think, but I I think this is appropriate. It's a small s here, and it has to do with, again, us walking in our new life with Christ. 
So I would draw your attention to really four heads today. The first is the captain of our new life. Secondly, the course of our old life. Thirdly, the cause of our new life. And fourthly, the course of our new life. We're not only talking about our fellowship here, what it is that we're doing, but nonetheless, we can use that as a basis for what it is the Lord is doing. Some people go to church because they're persuaded it's simply the right thing to do. My parents are like that. They're persuaded that you should go to church and they're right. Unfortunately, their church is horrible. They don't preach the gospel there. I wish that they would. But nonetheless, my parents, day in and day out, are committed to that fellowship because they're persuaded this is the right thing to do. Now, it's sad in a way because they're not really obviously able to enter into really any of the sweetness of a fellowship. Because there is no real proclamation of the Word of God there. There's no real body life there. And many uh, who attend that fellowship uh, have unfortunately been kind of brought perhaps to the same conclusion and never really to expect anything out of the fellowship. But to at least take solace in the fact that they've done what they should do. And I pray to God that that is never the occasion for us. Not that we're going to get something But there is much to get in the sweet fellowship of the Lord. Some go to see friends. Some go to enjoy the fellowship. Some are drawn to the vibrancy of the group. Some want to learn about God. Some want to validate their own ideas about God. Some want to validate their reasons for rejecting the church. Some go because their parents make them. If that's you, perhaps you should answer the question. Why is it so important that your parents are drawing you into the fellowship of God? Some go so people they care about won't be disappointed. Some people go to church because they like the music, or some go for lunch. Some go to display their own theological knowledge to others. Some go because it makes them feel better and closer to God. Some want to experience the faithful worship of our Holy God. The Bible reveals that, in fact, we are individual stones drawn into new life and made a piece of the eternal temple of God. And God, what is He doing right now? But He is bringing us, forming us, shaping us, right? Providing the, not only the vibrancy, but also the, the stuff that holds us together. Imagine, if you will, a building that's made of stones. We looked at it last week in Mark chapter 13. The apostles looked at the temple and they said, Oh, what marvelous stones! They were drawn to the beauty of a building. Buildings can be very beautiful, for sure. But imagine the challenge of building a building with living stones. (laughs) What is that like? Well, I mean... It could potentially be a little bit unstable sometimes. You imagine what kind of cohesiveness that the Lord has in mind to keep together living stone. It's one thing to move around, right? But how about this? Those stones are growing. 
as well. They're growing in proportion, in capacity, in depth, and so forth. And, and so that's who we are. That's part of what we're doing here. The Apostle Peter has an interesting answer to this question, what are we doing at church? And as I had mentioned, the first head here is this captain of our new life. So again, verses 1-11 through 11 in 1 Peter chapter 4. The first verse, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Christ did suffer in the flesh. This is the human nature Christ took upon Himself. We obviously are not talking about this idea that Christ suffered for sins in the flesh. Right? Not for His own sins, anyway. But Christ suffered. That is, He did His activity. He moved about for His reconciling work in flesh. In the flesh of humanity. And mind you, He didn't have the opportunity to have the flesh of Adam. But He had the flesh of fallen man. Though sinless, of course. In this passage, which primarily in view is not so much the cost with which Christ certainly paid with His perfect life, death, and resurrection for each of us individually, but Christ's sufferings as the pattern of our lives in putting sin to death. Again, some, some would see that the greatest thing that the Lord Jesus is to us is an example, and that is certainly not what we're saying here. Christ was far more than merely an example. Christ is our Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's no less than God Himself. But what's being accentuated here by the Apostle Peter is just this very idea. That Christ is an exemplar for us. He is a model. He is our captain. We see Him. He is charging the hill, if you will. He's in front. He is in charge. He is going forth and we follow Him. Christ suffered in the flesh. That is, He lived His life on this earth and entered fully into the task given to Him by God in the flesh. This way of life was the way of suffering. And then we see our suffering. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Our suffering in the flesh. The flesh is human corruption. The suffering is the denying of ourselves. The suffering of sinfulness would not be to suffer as Christ did. Forgive me for the digression of a John Wayne quote. Life is tough. It's tougher if you're stupid. Your sins will cause you to suffer. We're not talking about that today. Peter isn't talking about suffering because you are sinful. Right? Our sins bring to us uh, an entire world of suffering. Right? But that isn't what the Apostle Peter is talking about here. The Apostle Peter is talking about the suffering of denying yourself and not sinning. 
the challenge that it is to select, if you will, because you have a renewed heart, that which is right, to deny yourself. That's the suffering that he's talking about. If we're suffering because of our sins, which of course we do every day, then we wouldn't be suffering as Christ suffered. Because Christ didn't suffer because of his sins. Does that make sense? And so we're talking about, again, just the general challenge and difficulty of being faithful. One of the most unexpected challenges that we have entered into as a family over the course of the past 30 years is simply this idea of a commitment to the Lord's Day. We have taken so much heat over the fact that we have decided to accentuate one day in seven. That is suffering in the way that the Lord Jesus does. Now, the reality is is that it's a glorious thing to set aside one day in seven. Why everyone wouldn't do that, I have no idea. But nonetheless, we understand that that's what the Lord Jesus is referring to here. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Temptations to sin can only prevail because of human corruption. Now again, let's think about this for a minute. And this may be a type of life that you didn't expect. Again, it, it has to do with what it is we're doing here. We're, we're, not, we're not gathered here primarily to give you the ability to manage your sins in a way that you feel okay about them. We're talking about the ability, the growing ability in Christ to manage your faithfulness and to, and to enjoy the sweetness of victory. I am persuaded that there are some people that have decided and have understood the Christian life to be this. What it means to be a Christian is to, yes, get angry every day, but to then repent of it. And that is the pinnacle of their Christian life. They're still getting angry every day, but now they're repenting of it, perhaps publicly. My friends, if that is victory to you, what a shallow victory it is. If if you're repeating the same thing over and over again, that is certainly not the pinnacle of the Christian life. It may be the entry portal But God has so much more for you. That's what we're doing here. Is we're learning not only to repent of the sins, which are merely the fruits of sinful habits, but to be done away with the habits who enjoy the self-control in which I no longer am flaming angry for things that I shouldn't be in the first place. But that God is working in my life. And that's the idea here. If you're repenting of the same sins over and over again, you're robbing yourself of living in the Spirit if you remain on this hamster wheel because you're unwilling to slay the sinful habit. 
You enjoy hearing your sassy mouth more than you are willing to allow others to enjoy life without it. You enjoy harboring bitterness in the accompanying frowning countenance more than the sweet release of forgiveness in Christ. Many of you have experienced that. Forgiveness. Ah. (laughs) I don't have to hold on to this anymore. I'm killing myself with bitterness and harsh, angry words. Let us look to Christ. I'm not resurrecting that old heresy of perfectionism which unbiblically insists people can be perfect outside of heaven. Our Lord Jesus, the captain of our new faith, of our new life, lived a life of joyful discipline with urgency and intentionality and so enjoyed the smile of His heavenly Father and the sweet fellowship of those with renewed hearts. Think of it. Christ, dependent fully on the Father and the Holy Spirit to live a life in the Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of our faith, look to Him. Consider Him. Consider His countenance. Consider His joy. Consider the sense of urgency that He had. Consider the relational sweetness that He enjoyed. All because He suffered... Right. In, again, the, the righteousness of living in a sinful world. Secondly, the course of our old life. Verse 3, for the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, orgies drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, the idea here isn't that you've had enough of this. Did you get your fill? How much poison can you drink? Look, you've drank all you can take. That's not what Peter is getting at here. And sometimes we do approach life that way, don't we? We're like, ah, look at the power of Christ. I can drink all this poison and still I'm fine. That's not what Peter's getting at here. What he's saying, what he's getting at is this idea that the memory of our past life should stimulate us to repentance. In other words, oh Lord, let that be to me. And why is it? Why is it that David said, remember not the sins of my youth in Psalm 25? Well, he was asking the Lord not to treat him in accordance with the sins of his youth. Did David remember those sins? Oh, yes. He could call them up in technicolor with complete, perfect audio whenever he wanted to. Just the same as we can. And God has given us that ability so that they can inform us, our own sinful past, forgiven as it is. Not so that we can be morbidly introspective about what we've done, but so that we can with urgency and sobriety say, Oh God, may I not repeat that. Thank you. You've forgiven me for this, but I want to thank you again for forgiving me for this and helping me to walk in the Spirit with you today. God forgets our sins. 
And he could have given us the ability to do that. And the reality, of course, is that we forget many of them. But some of them we can call up. And the purpose is associated with the captain of our faith. So we're looking at the course of our old life in the context of the new. Verse 4, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Our new life in the Spirit is incompatible with, your, with our old ways of life. If your unsaved friends approve of you as you put sin to death and enjoy life in the Spirit, then either they are really drawn to Christ or you aren't walking in the Spirit. Let me say that again. Your new life in Christ is absolutely incompatible with the world. If your worldly friends who are unredeemed approve of what it is you're doing and how you're living, walking in the Spirit, then either they are in fact being drawn to Christ and given an eye for the beauty of following Him, or you aren't walking in the Spirit. It seems to me that there really are only two options. And that's what the Apostle Peter is getting at here. Verse 4, with respect to this, that is a walk of faith, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. And what do they do? They pat you on the back. No, that's not what the Bible says. It says they malign you. Some of us can't take that. We can't. We change what we say and do. We say, no, no, if he doesn't approve, then I, 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 I must change. But Christ, the captain of our faith, is the one that should approve. Verse 5, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Have you considered that? The judge of all the earth. He is the one to whom we're accountable. Not your so-called friend who is rejecting the ways of God and mocking you. That's the course of our old life. We're not living that way anymore. We have new life in Christ. We see in verse 6, we begin this third head, the cause of our new life. The cause of our new life. Verse 6, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I did advertise at the beginning of this sermon that the Apostle Peter would answer the question, what are we doing here? And he does it right here in verse 6. This is the cause of our new life. This is why the gospel was preached. And you, you roll into church this morning and you say, Oh, I got it. Now I understand. I had perhaps forgotten. But this is why the gospel is preached. Even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. So you have according to the people, and you have according to God. 
according to the people who are dead, according to God who lives in the Spirit. I'm persuaded here that proclaiming to those who are dead, even to those who are dead, this is the death of Ezekiel chapter 37. I had the privilege of having Dr. Roy Fish as my professor at Southwestern, the man who the evangelism department is named after. And I can hear his voice as he preached the sermon on Ezekiel 37, his deep voice as he would proclaim the truths of Ezekiel 37. And he would say, proclaiming the gospel is just like speaking in a cemetery. We bring the gospel to people who are dead. It seems utterly ridiculous. But that's the way of the Master. Because the reality is, if we're alive in Christ today, we know that we heard the gospel as a dead person. But we're given life in Christ the cause of our new life, the purpose of the gospel, to live in the Spirit like God does. The way of our Lord in the Spirit is beginning in us as a new element of created life in us through regeneration. Union with Christ brings with it the permanent attachment to the blessings of our Savior. The destruction of the old sinful man and the recreation of the new. Hearing the truths of God Walking in the Spirit is like springtime all the time. Yes, we're officially in winter. We've been in winter almost a week here in North Texas. But this recreation that God is doing in us. First, He gives us this seed of life in Christ. We're united to the Lord. And what does He begin to do? But kick out the walls of the old man and build the new, part by part, piece by piece by piece. Always the flowering. Always the seed time. Always this sprouting anew. Always this new life. If, if there were a little advertisement, a little tag on us when God regenerates us, the little tag would say this, guaranteed to grow. No need to take this back to the store. It will grow. He's recreating the new one in us. The cause of our new life. And the gospel, you say, what is it? I appreciate the one who has described the gospel as multifaceted truths of God like a series of arcs with the same curvature that make up a complete circle. I realize that you might be saying, what did he just say? Let's think mathematically for a minute here, okay? I know there's some geeks out there. Okay, we have this circle. Right? We have this circle. Think of it. This circle is just like this. It's, it's a circle that's perfect in every way, and it's the exact same diameter. And you see that this circle, you see the circle here? You guys are so awesome. 
It's made up of little pieces of ark. You understand that, right? And the little pieces of ark are all of the gospel that we can gain from the scriptures. And each portion of that gospel, you see, what are we doing? We're completing the circle. And the reality is, yes, we have new life in Christ, but as we take it, what are we doing here? That's what Peter's saying. We're you want another piece of the ark? <laughs> you gotta, you got to involve yourself in the things of God. You want to walk around with a semicircle? Not me. I want the whole thing. Right? A little bit at a time. The same ark, the same curvature. It all, you say, look, <laughs> this thing fits. It's going right beside the old piece. And that's what the Lord is doing in us. The cause of our new life. The gospel. If the gospel were rain and you had to get wet, you got to get in the rain, people. Right? That's what Peter's saying. Now, lastly, the course of our new life. The course of our new life. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. You may say, well, I've heard that before. I think things are going to be pretty smooth from here on out. But the course of our new life is such that we must be raised, as John Calvin says, from the drowsiness of the flesh. We must not sit still in the world. There's an urgency about life, and promising ourselves a long life makes us careless. The more we grow in grace, we're going to put away that old sin of procrastination. It is a sin. And so we should stop petting it and treating it like it's something other. There's no sitting still in walking in the Spirit. The end of all things is His hand. This is not a false sense of urgency. But this is a large dose that the Apostle Peter is giving to us of reality. Right? Verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, Hmm. This is one of those priority statements, right? Some of us exhaust these statements. Do you say, never do this a lot? Or do you say, always do this a lot? Because you know, there are some folks that you can't actually keep up with the never do this. Because like, it's like the list of passwords that I have. Like... It's like so long, I don't even know any of them. But I know where to go to get them. Above all. So we sit up straight, we wake up, 
right? Hold on. Above all, wait, wait a minute. What? Keep loving one another earnestly. This keep loving, this idea of stretching out, if you will, what we have here again is this concept that we we are we are extending to the fullest possibility this love to others. Why? Well, because it covers a multitude of sins. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced the love that covers a multitude of sins? You might think, well, I mean, actually, I'm the beauty spot in the eyes of all the people I know. I mean, the real question is, am I forgiving them? Right? But we need their love as well, because the real reality about us is that we got stuff that needs to be covered. It may be that many of us haven't actually experienced this firsthand. If you've lived a while on this sinful earth, you've had the experience of losing friends. But I'm persuaded that the biblical notion of friendship, it seems uh, that losing a true friend is similar to losing salvation. Now, I'm not proposing this is a full-orbed explanation of friendship, but what I am saying is this. We know something to be true about salvation. If you lost it, the Apostle John says you never had it. I don't think you can lose a true friend. Because I think that the love that you have covers a multitude of sins. And I think that in this process of accommodation, we again, we ask ourselves the question, how can I live in such a way as to really enjoy this true friendship, this true sibling love in Christ, where our love actually covers a multitude of sins? It has to do with accommodating one another. Say this with me together. Accommodation. You can say it, accommodation. I just want to make sure, did everyone say that? Because now, like, it's in your vocabulary, right? And so, like, you've actually said that word, you know what I'm saying? And we can explore later sort of what it means. But it's this accommodation. It's like, hey, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to be a hardhead? Really? You mean that if someone doesn't agree with me, they're not like an utter heretic that needs to burn in hell forever? And then after forever, they need to, like, burn some more? Really? Let's think about accommodation, right? That's, that's, this, that's this love one for another. That's this true friendship, this humility. Think about it. When you're involved in friendship, humble. Accommodation. Humility. Teachableness. When's the last time your loving friend taught you something. Not necessarily they said, okay, here it is, step A, B, C, D, and E. No, but when's the last time you learned from a friend and you were really instructed that you took it in? You're like, hey, wait a minute. This guy said this. I think I should really listen to that. There's something there. I think I need to check that out. 
I wonder what it cost him to say that. I should ask. Is there a long-term commitment to spiritual usefulness? Is there a transparency? Is there an approachability? How can I live in the Spirit? Again, He has made an absolute priority of, of this love for one another. And I think we have certainly done that as well. And it makes my soul very happy. But there can be more of that. And let us be the people who find it out. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now we are a hospitable group of people, I tell you. But it turns out sometimes hospitality is not so convenient. (laughs) Wow. Floors have to be swept. Scratches have to be covered. So forth and so on. Cupboards have to be replenished. Glasses repurchased. I'm persuaded one of the reasons that Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling is because it might be that we just might be inclined to grumble. The Bible indicates that we might entertain angels unaware. So, keep doing what you're doing. Verse 10, again, this last head, the course of our new life. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The Apostle Paul says something very interesting in one of his letters to the Corinthians. I'm pretty sure he asked this question, What do you have that you didn't receive? Now he's encouraging the reader to continue right now to take inventory. Okay, let's race through this right now. Let's let's go through our Rolodex of all the things we have. Got this, 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 this. This friendship, this gift. This opportunity, I've got this stuff, this car, this house, whatever, this wife, husband, all of these things, right? He's saying, and the Apostle Paul is saying this, okay, now, if you could, if you could just uh, uh, put in this stack over here all the stuff that you didn't receive, that like somehow you created it yourself, like you're responsible for it. And what the Apostle Paul, of course, is urging for us to understand is, you know what, this little stack I had here of all the stuff that I had that I didn't receive, there's actually nothing here. All the stuff I have is over here. It's in this stack that I did receive. And what he's saying is, the gifts that we have in service to one another, these are also things that we receive. We're stewards of that gift. You have a gift. You may say, no, I don't have a gift, and therefore I don't have any way to serve my brothers and sisters. Well, that doesn't appear to be what Peter's saying here. In verse 10 he says, as each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards. What do we know about stewards? What is a steward? What makes a steward a steward? One thing. He works with stuff that isn't his. That's it. The stuff that he does, he doesn't own it. 
He receives it as a gift, and then he serves others with it. And, and so the reality is, and the real question for us to ask ourselves, is how am I dealing with the gifts that God gives me? It might be a home. It might be financial resources. It might be the ability to teach. It might be uh, opportunities for hospitality. It may be a situation where you can come alongside other individuals one-on-one and disciple them and speak to them about the truths of God. It may be your ability to go take uh, folks from one place to another, to a doctor visit, for instance, or to buy them groceries or this sort of thing. Or it might be uh, a way that you can help. Some of you people can lift up like huge stacks of chairs. You know what I'm saying? That is a gift, people. I'm telling you it's a gift. And I'm very, very thankful for that, and everyone else in here is as well. But it's like, how, are, how are, do, we, do we view that as something that we own and that we meter out, or that we're displaying a stewardship, right, that God has given us? He goes on with this same idea, whoever speaks, verse 11, is one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm reluctant to say this because it certainly seems from the preacher's perspective to be a bit self-serving perhaps even a bit unkind, on January 1st, the day after, the day before January 1st, which is, of course, New Year's Eve. Do you receive the proclamation of the Word of God as an oracle of God? When you think about your week and you prepare for the Lord's Day, Do you anticipate, I recognize, that there are certainly limitations, frustrations, disappointments with the one who proclaims the gospel to you regularly, but nonetheless, do you come to it as the oracles of God? When you serve others, are you doing it as we say the words, the hands and feet of Christ? But do you really look at your hand as the hand of the Lord Jesus and reaching out to others? You say, well, I'm not that good. (laughs) I know you're not that good. And I'm not that good either. It's Jesus' hand. These are the oracles, not of Patrick, but of God. These are the oracles of God. The Apostle Paul spends an entire letter, the letter to the, to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, attempting to persuade them, as I mentioned last night, that when he approaches them as God's man, that they should wake up! <laughs> that they should receive him as a gift of the Lord. That we serve Christ with the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Peter answers the question, what are we doing here? With the sweet joys of redemption. Life to those who are dead. A stepping into, a preparation. Not for some drudgery but for the sweet joys of heaven. We're here for heaven practice. 
No practice I ever went to is easy. But it's good. It's good. Let's pray.